Actually, I do have an announcement um, that concerns uh, one of our uh, staff, Mike Coughlin, who uh, many of you, of you know, uh, Mike's been our uh, part-time worship minister here for about two and a half years. And you may also notice that Mike's not here this morning. And uh, that's good news for Mike because uh, he's been accepted, has accepted a position uh, to train as a full-time pilot uh, with a regional airline. Um, so uh, we won't have Mike here uh, with us on Sundays for at least the first uh, few weeks here. Um, we're not sure how long that's going to be, but um, we've always known, um, and Mike's made it clear from the start, that um, you know his, his long-term interest was to pursue a full-time uh, career in, being a pilot. And so we've been uh, fortunate and grateful to have Mike serving with us in a part-time capacity uh, thus far. And uh, the, or the Lord has blessed us with his talents. Um, Mike has expressed an interest to continue on as much as it's feasible for him uh, to serve as, as a, a worship leader uh, on our Sunday mornings. But uh, his schedule, it looks like, is going to be quite unpredictable, and we really don't know how feasible that plan is going to be. So um, in the meantime, we want to look at some options um, in terms of replacing Mike, which would uh, include looking for uh, hiring a replacement, obviously, for him. So uh, we ask for uh, your prayers as we um, embark on that effort. Uh, I'd also like to... Uh, present this as a, a ch an opportunity for those who have uh, a passion for worship like Mike does and would like to serve uh, with our worship team. Um, in particular, we need uh, you know, people that would be willing to help out in the uh, lead worship role. If you feel uh, God's spirit uh, tugging on you, that that would be something you'd like to do and you feel um, you have uh, some capability to do that, we'd encourage you just to let that be known, either to Kelly or or one of the elders. Um, we've always been a congregation that's uh, relied on the, the willingness of our members to serve and to volunteer uh, in, these, in these capacities. So um, as we transition, I just uh, encourage you to think about uh, how you might serve in that way if you'd be interested. Uh, the good news um, with regard to Mike and his family is they plan to intend to uh, remain uh, part of this congregation and worship with us, so we're just thankful that we're going to continue to have uh, Mike and Trina uh, and his family uh, continue on with us, and uh, we just thank them again for, for uh, Mike for his uh, service and contribution to us thus far. Thanks. Thanks, Steve. I really encourage you to be praying about that. Uh, you know, the Lord needs to lead us in the direction he wants us to go. And, you know, one of the beautiful things about God is that he's way bigger than us or any decisions we make. He's the, he's the biggest one there is in terms of making decisions. And he's in control of everything. And so I'm grateful for uh, what he's uh, been able to do with Mike in our church so far and what he's going to continue to do with Mike in the future. And whatever God works out, he's going to work out. And we have all confidence in him. One of the things that God's worked out is he has recently in the last year or so allowed us to help with the planting of Northern Hills. And it's been a, a rich blessing, not only for us, but certainly for them. We lost some people. We hated that. But we're so grateful that they've had a chance to serve and to fit in where they are. The contribution right now, by the way, is, I, I announced a couple of weeks ago, I think, or last week, whatever, that it was about 24.5. It's now about 26.5. So we've given... Uh, I mean, we're headed toward $30,000 in terms of our contribution for uh, Northern Hills. So that's a great blessing.
blessing for sure. Juan and Allie and their family are here, and we're so grateful for them being able to be here this morning. These girls are growing. We miss the Ruizes. We miss them. They're a, a pleasure to be around, and we're such a blessing while here, but they continue to be a blessing in God's kingdom. And Juan, you have some things to say to us this morning. We'd love to have you come and do that. You can come to the pipe, pulpit microphone up here on the floor and do that. Thank you very much, brother. Yeah, girls, if you want to come also, that's wonderful. I will not cry today, but almost. Uh, so it's almost a year ago when we decided to take this path, and uh, I remember sitting there and crying like a baby. And uh, when deciding that, uh, always remember on Matthew when Jesus telling the disciples, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And uh, this was part of the, the whatever we decided to do, going there and trying to conquer the Northern Hill community. So after a year, and I should confess, it has been a roller coaster up and down. And uh, we're happy. We miss you. And uh, so today when I came here, my heart was beating, say, my feelings are coming back. And... Uh, like coming back home. And when Dustin says, oh, fill the form if you're a visitor, say, am I a visitor? Am I belong here? <laughs> I don't know what to do. Uh, so leaving and, uh, and coming back, and I told Kelly this morning, this little one, oh, this little one, said, I told her last night, we're going to Maryville tomorrow. Maryville? What is that? Is, is that BBS church? Yes. At least BBS is working on them. They remember BBS. Uh, Brothers and sisters, I'm just a representation of Northern Hill Church here today. We are around 80 people, 80 to 100 people meeting every Sunday there. And by the way, you're invited to come as visitors. We don't want to take people. <laughs> or you can come as a visitor. We love to have visitors there, and uh, that gives us encouragement. And uh, so we meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. at the theater. And uh, two Sundays ago when you were doing that collection, special for us, we, by chance, we were having lunch with Peter, and uh, that Sunday was we were talking about finances and all that, and it could make you scared sometimes, saying, oh, we need this, and we don't have it, and today there is a collection at Church of Christ, and boom, a text came to Peter's cell phone, and we got the news. And I told myself, God is amazing. And he's, he's, uh, when you are down because you could be scared about stuff, boom, he brings you back and saying, don't be scared. We have brothers and sisters that they can support you. And we're so grateful for that. Part of the activities we uh, were trying to use the resources we have are, and that will be staff, we have Peter and we have uh, Jamie. Jamie's full staff now. Uh, we do a lot of kid classes like you have here. We do a lot of uh, events. And the idea will be connecting with people during the event, cre creating that relation to them, trying to get the growing to go after. Uh, there are some evening classes now. There are connection groups. There are a lot of stuff happening in the Northwest. Again, you are welcome to join us. We're so grateful for your support. It will be harder without having that. And uh, we know God is counting on us to do the mission in the Northwest. And he's counting on you also. We, uh, I remember uh, when uh, Colin came two weeks ago, he was asking for prayers. I'm asking again for prayers. Uh, the finance is one part, but I know 
prayers, they move mountains. And uh, thank you for everything you have given us. Thank you for everything you can give us. Prayers, connection, visiting. That is just love that we take into account. So 80 to 100 people from Northern Hill Church say hi, big hug, and annoying hug. And uh, can I pray? Absolutely. Okay. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are, uh, we are nothing by your followers. We ask you that uh, you keep providing us with everything we need. We, uh, we trust that you will provide that. And we're so grateful to have brothers and sisters in every place we go. We ask you that you bless this church here. They are our support. They are our brothers and sisters. We ask you also that you will <clears throat> provide Northern Hill Church with patience, wisdom, and uh, that we want to conquer that area for you, Lord. Thank you for all the love you provide us for everything we have. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. And it is indeed home. You never, like I, I, I don't have to talk to the elders about this, okay? You never have to fill out the card and say visitor. Never. Okay? I'd like you to turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 6. If you're in a pew Bible, eight, page 848. Hebrews chapter 6, page 848. If you're here uh, this morning and you're not a Christian, if you're not used to reading the Bible, if you're not used to Bible things, you don't know any Bible history, this lesson is going to be very difficult for you. This is a tough passage. This is a tough passage for Christians to read. When Christians read this, a lot of times they just read it and shake their heads and say, what in the world is going on here? What is this about? Fortunately, I'm going to explain it all. Kind of. I'm going to do my best to look at a a very difficult passage this morning, and we'll make something I think, which is a little difficult, hopefully much simpler than it appears to be at first sight. We've got a text that was written 2,000 years ago, and so you read it for the first time when it's 2,000 years old, and we don't follow the train of thought, we don't think in Jewish terms, and this is very Jewish literature. And so this guy is writing from a Jewish mindset, talking about Jewish things, and if you don't have a bit of a Jewish mindset and comprehension, this is just difficult stuff. And so first of all, let me tell you what I think he's doing. First of all, I think in this section, and we're going to read a good portion of this, his method is to explain by analogy. His method is to explain by analogy. And so there are several different analogies that he uses in order to kind of get at what it is that he's trying to say. And I want you to think for a moment in terms of being a hockey scout. And you're a hockey scout, and as a hockey scout, you watch hockey players, young ones, and you're trying to communicate to some manager of a hockey team somewhere else, somebody way up above you, just how good the kid is that you've been watching. Okay? And so here's what you come up with. You say, this kid is like Wayne Gretzky. He's as fast as Gretzky. He passes like Gretzky. He's got eyes like Gretzky. He can stop on a dime like Gretzky. This kid is amazing. He's like Gretzky. But he's also 
got a shot like Mario Lemieux. He's as fast as Lemieux was. He's as dominant a player as Lemieux was. When he gets on the ice, everybody just kind of stands in awe the way they stood in awe of Lemieux because he was so awesome. And then this kid can go into the corner like Gordie Howe. And when Gordie Howe went into a corner, the other players didn't come out. And so Howe is, Howe is a, a dominant force on the ice. And this kid, he's got all the aspects of Gretzky, all the aspects of Lemieux, and all the aspects of Gordie Howe. At which case, the manager who's been listening to this thinks to himself, i got to fire this guy because he doesn't know anything. He thinks he's got Wayne Gretzky, Wayne, Wayne Gretzky and Mario Lemieux and Gordie Howe all wrapped up in one player. And they'd think he was nuts. But what if he was right? And so maybe he came up with the perfect analogy to try and say to somebody, this kid is going to be the greatest hockey player of all time. Well, that's kind of what the Hebrew writer does in terms of analogy. And so he uses some great analogies, and we're going to get into those analogies in just a moment. His method of explaining the analogy is the first big thing I need to say to clarify. The second thing is that the point of his analogies is that Jesus is the best and only guarantee for a forgiven life. And we're going we're gonna to see that in just a moment as well. But right now, I have something that's going to talk specifically about this second point, And it's kind of like an analogy, more like a dramatic production. Step right up, step right up. If you can hear my voice, I have the heel of a lifetime. Heel of a lifetime? You heard right. Multiple deals in a single lifetime. How, how so? Not one, not two, but three opportunities. Whoa. Out of all the soda pop in the world, you've chosen to handle and stand near the real thing. <laughs> um, how can I be sure about that? I guarantee it. All right, all right, guarantee that. Um, what's this right here? Only the most economical and effective laptop on the market today. It's a pizza box. Yet this does not diminish its effectiveness. <clears throat> um, there, it's a used pizza box that, that I can see the stains. The grease stains. An extraordinary file folder system. In alphabetical order, if you so choose. All backed by the Apple logo. Yeah, I'm, I'm 100% sure Apple would not do and yet, I guarantee it. Alright. Um, so, is this the third opportunity right here? You have a fine eye for value, sir. You've chosen the heart healthy model. Oh, um, well, it's kind of the only model, but uh, how is it health, heart healthy? Allow me to demonstrate. And I guarantee it. Um, 
It's great that you guarantee all these things, but uh, how can I be sure that you're going to keep your guarantee? I'm backed by millions of mortgage-backed securities. Through none other than Chase Manhattan, Lehman Brothers, and the country of Iceland. I'm also backed by the pension plan of General Motors and the city of Detroit, all of whom are too big to fail. Well, those definitely sound, uh, sound, uh, big. But, uh, I'm gonna need a better guarantee. <laughs> well done. I think I'm in agreement. I think I'm in agreement that uh, Oren should indeed walk away, that there needs to be a bit of a better guarantee than what uh, John seemed to be saying was going to guarantee and back up these things. Wouldn't you agree with that? And today, what we find, and again, this is kind of convoluted. And so I, I'm going to read a good portion of Scripture here. And at some times, you might think, what in the world is he talking about? But I think there's something here that does indeed talk about guarantee, specifically the guarantee of faith, and why it is that God thinks it's so important that Jesus came and did what he did. And so I want you to kind of watch for the analogies. And the first one comes in chapter 6, verse 13 through 15. Look at this. Read this with me. When God made his promise to Abraham... Since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. And I, this is pretty obvious this, at this point. If I just ask you, what is it that it forms the guarantee for the promise that was made to Abraham? What is it? How does God depend on something or on what does God depend in terms of the guarantee at this point? Church? Himself. Himself. Exactly, Jacob. And that wasn't planted. <laughs> Jacob's just coming up with the right answer all on his own. And that's exactly right. God makes a promise to Abraham. In fact, you go back to Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, you see this covenant promise. God makes the promise to Abraham and says, I promise you this is going to happen. But he has no one on whom to swear or a name greater than himself, because that's how it's done. We make a, a vow on something and say, it, I vow this based on something greater than me, on my mother's grave, on my mother's reputation, or something like that. You can trust me. My word is as good as my father's word. And so we trust on those kinds of things. And in this case, God has no one greater to swear by than himself. And he simply makes the promise and says, I'll surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so that's the first kind of promise that's made. God, in terms of an analogy, swears by his own name when he promised Abraham. And we're going to get to what it is that he's kind of making the analogy about here in just a sec. Now look at verse 16. Men swear by someone greater themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. And so, what is it at this point that God uses in order to guarantee? Well, he guarantees it specifically 
with an oath. But right at this point, he doesn't tell us specifically what the oath is. And I have to admit, when I read this the first time, I found this incredibly confusing. I got to this point and I thought, okay, he's going on and he says there are two things by which God affirms what it is that he's teaching. Clearly, one of those is the promise that he makes to Abraham. And then he starts talking about an oath. And for a while there, I didn't quite get it. What oath is it that he's talking about? But then I just kept reading, of course. And eventually, there's an allusion made to something that comes actually in Psalm 110. And so the second allusion here, the second analogy that he makes, is that God made an oath that Jesus would be a high priest forever like Melchizedek. Now, instead of turning to Psalm 110 in your Bibles, like I'm sure you're just clamoring to do, I'll just put it on the screen. And here's what it says in verse 4. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now that actually comes later on in this text. In fact, there's a great deal that's said about who Melchizedek is. And so look, for example, at the very last verse of chapter 6, and then we're going to read from there. He says, he has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And then he tells us, this Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God most high. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, his name means king of righteousness. Then also king of Salem means means king of peace. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, like the son of God, he remains a priest forever. Now, there's actually quite a bit more there said about who he is. And the bottom line is, is that Melchizedek is some kind of very special high priest. And if you go back and read Genesis 14, what you'd find is that in that story, Abraham actually makes sacrifices and offerings to Melchizedek. Now that's interesting because why would Abraham make sacrifices and offerings to Melchizedek unless Melchizedek was somebody special and somebody great? And in fact, that's the whole point that the Hebrew writer makes through the end of chapter 6 and the beginning of chapter 7, and really throughout chapter 7 in one sense. Jesus' priesthood is unique, and it's as unique as Melchizedek's priesthood is unique. It is special. It is different. And it has this one feature more than anything else. And you'll see this, uh, for example, flip over to 717. And here he quotes uh, Psalm 110, and he says, For it's declared, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless, for the law was nothing perfect, and a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. Others became priests without any oath, but he became a priest, talking about Jesus, With an oath, when God said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. So Jesus himself patterns his life, or God says that he's patterned his life and his whole ministry, specifically after this person who is Melchizedek, who has this special place as a special high priest, and who has a priesthood that lasts forever, and nobody else could say that, okay? And then there's another anal- analogy, the third one. Jesus, got to look around pizza boxes here. Jesus is a high priest, 
but has, in fact, a special high priesthood. And so I want you to look at verse 23 in chapter 7. This is where the third analogy comes. Now, there have been many of, many of those priests since death prevented, prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he's able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men who are weak, but the oath which came after the law appointed the Son who has been made perfect forever. And so we come kind of to a conclusion in terms of what the writer's trying to say by analogy. And that is that if people are like me, if people find themselves sinful, if people find themselves weak, if we as God's people sometimes aren't as faithful as we need to be, if we struggle with things, if we wonder whether or not we're really ever going to be what God wants us to be, if we sometimes have doubts because of our culture that challenges us constantly and makes us wonder whether or not there's ever or even a God. Like There are times in my life when I look and I say, Lord, are you really there? Just because of how life sometimes goes and how in my own life I wrestle with various things. And when I wonder about whether or not I'm ever going to grow and really be what God wants me to be, at those moments, it might be easy for me to waver. And I think that you might find yourselves also at times capable of wavering. And that's where the readers to whom the Hebrew writer is writing connect so securely with our lives because they were tempted to waver. They were tempted to perhaps give up. There were times in their lives when they thought, we can't do this. The persecution is too great or the temptations are too great or my weakness is too great. And in the midst of all of those temptations and challenges, God sends a message through a series of analogies. And the message is, we have a great high priest. We have a great high priest who has gone into the holiest of holies, One who is like us, tempted in every way as we are. Which means that he's challenged to be faithless, just the way we're challenged at times to be faithless. He's challenged and tempted to be sinful, just like we're challenged and tempted to be sinful. But this high priest 
didn't give up. And when he went into the holiest of holies, which for him constituted a cross, he gave himself utterly and completely to the will of his Father and allowed himself to die so that we, who are so weak and need him so badly, can find ourselves not only redeemed, but able to be confident because of the guarantee that he offers in his own blood of our salvation. Sometimes I think the biggest temptations Christians have in life revolve around their own sinfulness and their thought that maybe they won't be forgiven. You ever wondered that? Have you ever thought, maybe my sin is too profound and our trust wavers even in that because we think that maybe God won't save us. And there is a guarantee by the high priest who goes before us. And it's the greatest guarantee of all. And that it establishes that we, we can't out-sin God's forgiveness. We can't out-sin God's love. We can't out-sin the death of Christ on the cross that was given for us. And because of that, this guarantee needs to be trusted. It's the best one there is. And on it, we need to depend. No matter what our own thoughts and our own consciences and our own concerns might be saying to us, we have from God a guarantee about what it is that Jesus has done. And on this, we can depend. Let's pray. Lord, there probably is is no one here who isn't tempted at some point in some ways to be faithless. Whether it's the challenge of those voices that say you're not real or it's the challenge in our own hearts that say my sin's too deep. But either way, you have given us in the cross of Christ a guarantee, one on which we can depend. We have a faithful high priest who has gone before us and offered us salvation. God, help us to be assured of this, convinced of this. Convince us by your Spirit that you continue to forgive that you are making us more than we ever could be. It's through Jesus we pray. Amen.